we are here with another episode of the Friendship Podcast with the one, the only, the queen of <laughs> Airbnbs, Christy Wolf. Christy, thank you so much for coming on. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. So we, we talked for just a short bit before we got on here about where you're at, but tell us about where you're at and kind of what's been going on because you're kind of like a little bit of everywhere if anybody follows you on Instagram. Yeah, particularly this project. I'm in Salmon, Idaho in this property that's on a high mountain lake. And the house was built in the 60s and it's shaped like a ship, but I call it a shipwreck because it looked like it got hit by a cannonball <laughs> when I bought it. So it's been abandoned for years. Um, I've been working on it in short chunks in between other properties. And I'm, I'll be opening next month. And the original guy who built it in, uh, is in his 90s. Him and his family, the grandkids that were coming here visiting in their summers they're all coming back they're going to be my first guests so i'll get the oh, whole story you're kidding. that's super cool very nice so uh if if i remember correctly is this the one where you have to take a boat to get to it correct or no nope that's a different one uh that oh, is my cocoon house <laughs> in uh oregon on the coast gotcha okay so like uh where are we at right now how many units do you have how many units are like in play and like where, where's the portfolio currently sit that is a good question. I always have to count. I think I have four active listings. I have six prop. Well, I have uh, the one that you were talking about, the Oregon one. That's just going through permitting. It's been done for like nine months. And then this one um, should be launching next month. So I'll have six that are basically done. And then I have other properties, though. So one that I am crowdfunding for, that's a whole new beast, is in uh, Wallace, Idaho, up in the Panhandle near the Canadian border. And I'm doing uh, five fire lookout towers there. Um, and I'm once I'm finished here, I'll be headed up there. Gotcha. So, uh, like, okay, you have, like, one of the coolest portfolios out there. I mean, you've been featured in all kinds of different stuff. So how did Christy Wolf begin? Like, where was the origin? How did you even get started in the world of short-term rentals? Well, so I, I kind of knew construction. I had like a base knowledge. My mom always remodeled our houses. We have a big family. My dad was a school teacher. And so she would make our houses be able to fit our huge family. And so I kind of took that for granted that I know how to use tools and had done a lot of remodeling projects. Well, then when tiny houses first came about, I think I built mine 11 years ago or something like that, uh, maybe 12 years ago now. So not fancy like the tiny houses you see now. Mine was a shed on wheels. It cost me three grand. I was making like 11 bucks an hour at the time. And I built it in like a month on weekends and after work. So I was just doing that as an experiment in minimalism. Um, I usually tried to, uh, in my 20s, I like took on these year challenges like no sugar or no meat. And those were very hard. But living in 97 square feet was really easy. It was actually super surprising to me and I loved it. And so I decided to make it a permanent situation, bought my first lot of land for five grand. Um, that is actually where the potato sits now. Um, and also back then, again, making like 11 bucks an hour, I think I put like $800 down and then paid him monthly, which is a thing that I have done. But still to this day, I always offer an owner finance and that's how I've been able to like slowly build my portfolio over time. And after that, I had kind of eliminated my bills. I would only buy cars under $500 and then run them into the ground. So I literally like had nothing, no payments, nothing nice. And I thought, 
you know, I really want to build a tree house somewhere. Like, that'd be fun. And like, maybe I could rent it out. And so I looked for land on Craigslist at that time, found a lot in Hawaii, called the guy up. I think he was living in Indiana and he was going through this whole like rebirth. He was, they were selling him and his wife, family were selling everything they owned. They just turned 40 and retiring. And so this lot in Hawaii, I bought for $8,000, again, $1,000 down, $200 a month, zero interest. And went out there eight months later, used all the money I had, which was like $11,000 at the time, and built the treehouse. And what I figured is at my factory job at that time, if I could rent it for eight days a month, then that replaced my income. And pretty much instantly, it was renting solid. So... So oh, you you talked about the Hawaii property and eleven thousand dollars. I mean that's and plus eight thousand for the property itself, which is mind-boggling. Like how do you said you found it on Craigslist? How long ago was this? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, that was about ten years ago. I was going to say the lumber price for my current property is a lot more, but there's still cheap properties over there. However, Hawaii's regulations aren't super friendly. So I don't always recommend it. But everybody thinks like Hawaii, oh, it's so expensive or. You can't own land in Hawaii. I'm like, guys, it's America. You can't own land in Hawaii. But that's like a common misconception. And this is on the rainy side of the big island. So it's pretty much the only affordable land in Hawaii, but it's super affordable. And there's a lot of it. That's very interesting. So like, can you walk us through the numbers of the Hawaii property? Like what, what's average daily rate? I think your occupancy, I'm sure uh, like I've looked into it before. It's like 99%. It's not a hundred. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, we closed down during COVID for a couple oh, years. Okay. Um, and so it's back up and it's, it's back rented, but yeah, most of, I think all of the properties are pretty much, yeah, 98% occupied. And that's just because we do have cancellations sometimes and I take advantage of those and try to do maintenance. You know, if somebody is, does cancel and it doesn't rebook immediately, then I'm like, we got to get in there. Let's yeah. go do something. So for Hawaii and for my subsequent, the Hobbit hole and the potato, I back then things have changed a little bit with inflation and stuff and my projects have got bigger. But I would try to say, can I get this property to pay for itself in the 100 days of rentals? which for me is basically the first hundred days it's open. And so with Hawaii, that was paid off in, you know, three to four months of me building it. Granted, I'm doing like all of the work myself. And so I'm able to save a lot of money there. And then I'm buying in really rural areas that are overlooked and, and very inexpensive. Go ahead, Yoni. So I, I have a few questions. David's a much better question asker than me, but I, I want to dig into your mindset for a second. So you're, you're, you know it. I'm sure you know it. You're, you're very unique. Um, David and I are earlier in our real estate journey than you. Um, we talked about the double A frame earlier. What, what was in your mindset to take on these projects that are far away, like in Hawaii? What and what and what keeps you going? Like, how do you? What was your mindset back then that allowed you to be so courageous? And what is your why now that allows you to keep burning with a with a strong fire and keep going? Like, is there is there something you tap into? For for myself, it's it's my family. We have a very proud family, and I tap into that in my hard days. Is there something that you tap into that lets you burn this bright? 
Um, I would say mine is solely driven off of what I think is fun. So I'm not doing a lot of market research. I so lucked out with Hawaii that I didn't even put it together that it's going to be mostly honeymooners coming to Hawaii. And the aesthetic turned out to be this like really romantic looking place. But that wasn't even I, I wish I could say that was like the plan, but it so wasn't. I was just like, everybody likes Hawaii. I hadn't been there. I'd barely been on a plane. And so I had bought it, you know, sight unseen, looking on Google Earth. I'm like, looks like a jungle. I guess we'll <laughs> go for it. And it could have gone worse. Um, and actually, the guy had told me there's already a cleared spot you can build. I get there. It's totally, you know, dense jungle. You can't even hardly walk through it. I had to go to Home Depot and buy to even like get back there. And I'm like, well, the clearing must have been overgrown. You know, it's been a lot of years. It wasn't until I was up on the roof of the treehouse that I could see, oh, man, if I would have gone like 40 feet back, it was the clearing. <laughs> so, you know, for me, I was just like, with the first one in particular, if this doesn't work out, then my friends and family have a treehouse in Hawaii. That sounds amazing. So the downside wasn't really there and the upside of oh people could come here this could replace my job that i i did like my other job too but that it could you know fuel me being able to build other cool things was really exciting and that's kind of what i've used like do i think that that seems really fun and if i am interested in it then hopefully there'll be others yeah, made a pretty asymmetric bet with it. With like, okay, well, it's going to be something that's relatively cheap and it's cool and people can go use it. That's the downside. Yeah. The upside is it could go, you know, crazy, which it did. So it's awesome. So one one thing that I wanted to ask you, like, you know, unique stays are like all of the rage right now, and like you are kind of like, you know, on the on the pedestal of the unique stay uh, platform, if you will. And so I'm just trying to figure out because Yoni and I, that's kind of how we got together. We're part of Rob Abasola's host camp and Rob does a lot of very unique stays and stuff like that. And so we are interested in that. But then there's always like the the little bit of a, uh, a X factor that you can't really put into air DNA or something like that. Like, how do you look into a property or a project and like how far away it might be from the closest city and like how far people will have to travel and there's no data to support it, if you will. How do you decide like what's a good idea and what's not a good idea? Do you just go off your gut? That is a, a super good question because yeah, I got started before Air DNA, which is amazing. And, you know, before all these tools and again, it's just been like, how can I afford to build the thing I want to build? So after the treehouse, I wanted to really do a hobbit hole and my mom helps me, um, on my projects. Now she says she's too old, but I still get her here from time to time. But she hated being on a ladder in Hawaii. And so I told her, well, next, don't worry, the next one I'm going to build in the mountain. So uh, you won't have to get on a ladder. But when I went looking for land, you know, there's lots of places I could have put it. And if I had a ton of capital, then I might have put it somewhere else. But I ended up the land that I could afford is in uh this beautiful town called Chelan, Washington. It's actually across in a county across the Columbia River Gorge. So it still has this like amazing lake and river view, but I don't have all the restrictions that I would have building next to the million dollar houses. And it's off grid, no utilities. Um, so again, there's like no data. Everybody that I'm talking to while I'm there building, they're like, 
your season is 100 days because it's a tourist town. You have 100 days. You don't need to bury your pipes, you know, because you're going to be closed in the winter. I am people that stay there have to wait. Like, I think the average is 422 days. We are booked solid all year round. Like, that is not a thing for me. And still with Hawaii being the only one I had done before, I was still looking for places like that tourists go that I could afford. Then once I did the Hobbit Hole and it was so successful and it's a, such a cute town and I learned that nobody was going into town. Nobody booked the Hobbit Hole because they were going to Chelan for a wedding. Everybody booked and came to Chelan because they wanted to stay in the Hobbit Hole. So that was like a big mind shift for me. Like, oh, if I don't have to build where tourists are already coming, then that opens up a lot of space for me. And so my third one was my fire lookout in a town called Fernwood that has not even 400 people there. I've lived in Idaho my whole life, had never heard of Fernwood. And you have to go up this crazy mountain road to get there. And again, we are booked all year round. And there's, there's zero attractions to that area. So it just kind of goes to show that, like, I, it, the old theory of if you build it, it they will come. Uh, I think that kind of applies here. And that's kind of where Yoni and I have been. But whenever we're, you know, jumping into our first project, it's kind of nerve-wracking. You're like, wow, the nearest airport's, like, two hours away or something like that. Are people going to actually come? But from the way it sounds, they do. Yes. The, 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 the other thing that I, that is fascinating is, like, w- one of the things that I bet you we always try to keep in mind when we're asking guests is shifting regulations. Every time you turn on the news, there's some big city that, uh, that that's putting the kibosh on Airbnb on some way. And what you're, say- what you're saying opens up the possibilities more. It's like the more thoughtful about your stay, you can pick places that are far out and that would those those cities would love the tourism income. They would love any kind of, you know, thing bringing them there. So... And, and those places are not going to put in some some strict ordinance. And so you actually have the silver bullet for longevity, I think, for Airbnb, the way you're approaching it. Well, and with these rural areas, you can be a lot more creative with your bill. But the Hobbit Hole, I did go and get that one permitted. And that county was so cool that they're like, well, you know, nobody's done it. You can give it a shot, I guess, if you want to try that. And I'm like, amazing. Thank you. But um, yes, it does open up a lot, um, especially for the regulation thing. I think I think you do have to build something really neat that people are going to come to. And then also keeping in mind the entire experience. So for that particular property, the um, Lookout one, which is the most rural that I have, Almost everybody is flying into Spokane and then they're having to drive a couple hours. And so I try to think about the guest experience from when they start their trip to me. So I know that they're going to have everybody that comes to the lookout is going to have a road trip. So we send them like podcasts about fire lookouts that are interesting, playlists, things like that, because uh, or like for the Hobbit Hole. We don't have Wi-Fi there. So, hey, download this Lord of the Rings soundtrack and you can sip your coffee out on the patio. So really trying to keep in mind the whole thing is what I think gets people uh, that word of mouth and people, you know, sharing it and wanting to come stay. That is brilliant. That's one of the better things I've ever heard, like give sending somebody information related to it because then once they get there they're going to be even more you know like immersed in the entire experience that's so smart yeah so um one thing that you know regulations and if we're talking more on like the uh you know technical side of things 
have you had any projects that you've worked on that uh, ended up that you weren't able to do because of zoning and regulations or have you made sure that you did all your homework prior to no (laughs) both and so with my potato hotel i had had my tiny house out there for 10 years you know it's technically in boise but people that live in boise are like this isn't in boise it's so far out and i thought everything was fine i had my tiny house out there but then this youtuber came out it got like a million views overnight and then the planning and zoning department was at my front door the next day and so i actually um the structure was all good but for zoning purposes I had to build another house so that the potato could become a sleeping quarters. So I had to jump through a lot of hoops. So on all of them, there have been hoops that I've had to jump through, but none that I couldn't do. And so I asked them, okay, well, how big does this house have to be? And they're like, well, there's no restriction. So I built a tiny house in a couple weeks and then it made the potato legal. So, and now with that tiny house, I'm actually just starting another build where I'm going to put um, basically a greenhouse over it. It's called the terrarium house and I'll be renting out that as well. And I start construction on that in a few weeks. That's awesome. Yeah. So my wife and I, we've actually talked about that many times. We're like, if we ever build an Airbnb someday, I basically want to have like a quarter of the house be the actual house and then three quarters of it just be a huge greenhouse area. Cause I think that would be wildly popular. And then I saw yours on Instagram, like, ah, she beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> there can be more than one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, with these properties being like so rural and kind of like out there with these really small towns, how are you managing these things? Like who's keeping track of them? How are you turning them over? And then are you doing the management remotely or do you have people helping? I have lots of systems in place, but I hire great caretakers in every location and that have been with me for years. So people that think that, well, yeah, who are you going to find out in Fernwood, Idaho? I have found really amazing people that I think also because of how special my places are, there's a certain sense of pride of being the caretaker for that thing that everybody in town knows about it. Um, but something that I learned early on with the treehouse is I had my first uh, caretaker for, I think, four years, and then I had to hire somebody again. And I just was not getting good applicants. And I found that switching in the ad from cleaner or housekeeper to caretaker, the quality of people I got just shot through the roof. And my analysis of that is everybody... I think has romanticized or dreamed about being an innkeeper. Nobody dreams of being a cleaner. And so, and it's also much closer to the job description of a caretaker because we have all these special things baked in. Then I can't just hire merry maids to come in and, and do this because we have so many special things in the house that the caretaker has to be aware of. That's a really good point. Cause I mean, you know, everybody wants to feel like they're, part of something wants to feel like they have ownership in something so then if you're calling them a cleaner it's just like oh i'm just coming in there you know like you said as a merry maid but if you say oh you're a caretaker of the property you are now feeling like you're part of the team you have ownership over that so then i'm sure you get the best of the best of people that are around that are wanting to take care of the place so that's a very interesting strategy i don't know if i've ever heard of that before yeah, we have really amazing people also my mom was always like you can't have a guy be a cleaner and i'm like She has six kids. Two of my brothers are the biggest clean freaks and I'm like the messiest person in the world. (laughs) So I've had multiple men, about half of my caretakers have been 
men and are amazing, you know, so it's not a, a sex thing. If, if that is something that even exists in people's mind anymore. And I use, uh, speaking of systems, I use uh, turno to pay them. I think it's really important to be able, for them to be able to be paid immediately, especially in some of these rural areas before, um, if, if somebody has to wait two weeks to be paid, that can be tough. So being able for these people to be paid every day is super nice. Uh, so I use that. I use Guesty to handle like the emails and stuff, but I'm, I'm still the one getting like the random call or you know, guesty reaching out to being like, Hey, there's dungy fever in Hawaii. What do you want us to say? But then I only have to answer it once and then they will take care of it from there. Very interesting. So um, with the new project, then let's move on to that. So the new project that's on Indiegogo, that's kind of the, the way that we all got linked up together because I think it's like the coolest project on the planet. Would you mind telling everybody about that and like what the project is and what the plan is? Yeah, I'm super excited. So I have bootstrapped everything to this point, but this project is like my dream property. It's 55 acres in Wallace, Idaho, which is historically significant for these buildings because that is where the Great Burn of 1910, which was America's largest forest fire, started. And that kind of launched um, the Green Army that built all these fire lookouts. And there used to be thousands of them. And now I think... We are under 400. So um, I kind of did a twist. I bought an original fire tower over the mountain from there in 2017. And through the process, every time I'm on a build, I will consume as much books about the topic or even from the same time period, because usually it's just me. I'm, I'm alone 95% of the time. And so I'll be listening to something um, that helps inform the rest of the, the build and completely immerse myself. So I became obsessed with fire towers. So I'm doing a little spin on them. It's the same 14 foot cab, but they're going to have clear um, smart glass roofs for stargazing. So you'll have the 360 and the roof. And the, the reason we're doing smart glass is so that you can block out the sun in those hot summer months. Uh, that's one of the things with living in a greenhouse too, that you have to be aware of. Um, so I'm super stoked, going to put five of them. And I'm also building a fire lookout museum to kind of hopefully be able to raise funds to um, help preserve the remaining fire towers that we have. We lose them every year to forest fires. So keeping those still going is kind of the goal with this whole project. Yeah. So like with, the, uh, you know, we all like the unique stays and things like that. And then it comes with all the, the complications of like, how do you get utilities to the property? How are you getting water? How are you getting rid of septic? And how are you doing those things? So if you, you don't mind like us getting into the weeds a little bit, like we love unique builds, we love glamping and stuff like that. So that's always the main question that everybody asks, how does all that work? So dig into the infrastructure a little bit. What does it look like? Yeah, I think the first question that you should ask yourself when looking at land is the water question. And there's a few ways to do it. You can drill a well, but if you don't have power, how are you going to pump the water, you know? Um, at my hobbit hole, I do it lots of different ways. In Hawaii, rainwater catchment. Um, at the hobbit hole, we have a water truck that comes and fills this. Um, it's just a 2,000-gallon poly tank, but I've encapsulated it in wood and so it looks like kind of like the town water tower and um they and i have a pipe going down the mountain 
they hook their truck up to it and backfill the tank every two weeks. And so, and that one was hard because I just figured that every place has water trucks. Nope, in Chelan, they don't have water trucks. But who does have water trucks is excavation companies because when they are digging, they have water trucks to spray down the dirt. So I convinced one of the excavation companies to do this for me. And they've been doing it for, you know, since we've been open six, seven years, something like that. So there are workarounds, but you have to find them. And for the... Uh, moon pass lookouts there's actually a creek that produces uh 10 gallons per minute and we have a buried cistern there so that's how we're getting water in that one so it is a very important thing most places you can work with solar or a generator but the water is the thing to figure out and most places you can put in a septic system or at my other lookout tower we have a um, outhouse and you know, people that are going to do that are usually people that are familiar with camping and stuff. It wouldn't work probably for the Hobbit hole, but for this one, it's all outdoorsy people and they're completely fine with it. So know your audience. Yeah, that's super cool. So uh, if the Hobbit hole, what was the reason that, it, did you try to dig a well or you knew that you couldn't or what was the reason for going that route? Yeah, so I'm way up on a mountain and there wasn't very many people around me. And so with drilling a well, it's pretty expensive and there's no guarantee that they hit and you pay regardless if they hit or not. So if they don't hit, it's only about 7% cheaper than if they do because they don't have to put in all the equipment. So that was just too risky of an endeavor. It was going to cost like 40 grand. And then if it didn't work, I and my land was like 20,000 or 18,000, I think at that time. So that just seemed insane. And then I still would have the problem with power, um, getting power to that location. Now it's, uh, there have been people that have moved into the neighborhood and stuff. So there's potential that, you know, in the next couple of years we will get power. And then I probably will attempt to uh, drill because my finances are different, but so far it works, it works pretty well. Yeah, you can you can pay a trucking company a lot of trips for forty thousand dollars. Exactly. <laughs> then your exactly. guaranteed water is going to be coming. Well, so so I have, a, I have a question. Each stay is amazing. First of all, I'm an OG Lord of the Rings fan and watched all the Hobbit movies several times and use Gandalf emojis on everything that I text <laughs> people. So I'm like geeking out while I'm I'm the I'm the note taker on the pod. Tell me a little bit, is there, I'm, I'm, you seem like a, a, a definitely a visionary. Is there a type of uh, Air, Airbnb you wish you could do in the future that you haven't quite put your arms around yet? Maybe it's theme, Maybe it's a theme like a, like a Hobbit type say. Maybe it's something else that we've never heard of before. Is there something you'd be willing to share with the audience of something you, you want to geek on in the future that's unique or you want to keep it to yourself? I'm just curious. I want to get more inside your head. You're probably the most special guest we've ever had. Well, there, I have a, I have a list of builds that I would like to do. So typically it's either the type of construction or the build. So I would like to do sandbag construction. Mostly I want to do something completely different than I've already done, but I'd love to do a lighthouse. You know, they're doing all those auctions for lighthouse. I would love to get my hands on one of those, you know, a one room school, how churches, anything like that unique. And I actually really love, even though I've built a lot of things from the ground up, 
I really love remodeling a place. I think that's probably uh, reworking a floor plan and making something work is probably what I'm most skilled at. And so I would love to take these different old buildings, especially like the shipwreck house that I'm in now, like some dude in the sixties decided to build a house that looked like a ship and it was just rotting. And so almost everybody in this neighborhood has been like, I can't believe that you bought that. You know, we looked at it. That's crazy. Cause when you would walk on it, you felt like you were going to fall through. But to me, I'm like, you know, nobody else is going to take this project on. I have to save that. And if I feel like, Oh, that's a really cool building, but somebody else will do it or could do it. Then I'll let them, uh, have that. But one that I'm buying property for probably in the next couple months, I have my eye on a lot is um, you guys have, if I showed you the picture, you would know what I'm talking about, but there's this guy in India who did a, um, a cactus house in AI in mid journey. And it's beautiful. And he did inside and outside pictures. And so I've been in contact with him to actually make that be a real house and so and it's a house but there's just lots of cactus it's not a house that's shaped like a cactus and yeah, I was so picturing, like the big guitar you know like in Nashville <laughs> or something yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not that it's just a really awesome rendering that I would like to make in real life so that's the one that I'm super excited but like putting it in the back of my head because I have a few books I have to knock off before that very interesting. So, like, whenever you're going around and, like, trying to find these properties, like, are you just perusing Zillow or, like, how are you finding if somebody else wants to find unique stays or, like, unique properties that they could revive, like a ship, you know, that's rotting? Like, how do you – how are you finding these properties? Well, now people just send me weird stuff because they know <laughs> that I'll like be she'll interested. do something with this. <laughs> yes. So, like, this one was sent to me by uh, somebody – and then now, like, yeah, when something weird comes up, it, several people will send it to me. Um, but when I have the idea for the build, like, I knew I wanted to do these fire towers and have the museum. Um, and so I, but I was, I kept trying to make it work in the town that I was in already, but there wasn't any big swath of land for sale. So I would have had to buy all these little ones. And then I happened to be coming through Wallace, uh, which is not the normal route I take. And I stopped there to get grab dinner and it was like the first day of winter, huge snowflakes. It was just so magical and beautiful. And the whole town is designated um, a historic, every building is designated a historic building. And they did that to uh, prevent a freeway from knocking down half the town. And so when I went there and I was just like, oh, this place is it. And I already knew about the big burn and all of that stuff from my previous things. And I'm like, this is where I need to build it. And it had never occurred to me. You know, this idea had been percolating in my mind for five years. And so I started looking for land and found the, the um, spot that I ended up buying. So typically I'll have the build in mind and then I'll set out looking for areas where that house should be. So for the Hobbit hole, I knew I needed rolling hills. I really wanted it in a place without winter. I was not able to afford a place without winter. So I still am in a place with winter. Um, but I went on a road trip for two weeks looking at all of the cheap land. And basically, I don't know if Zillow still has this, but I would uh, mark it on my phone, like the slider to as low as it goes, which I think at that time was 20,000. So I was just looking at places that were under 20,000. And I actually came home and I didn't find anything that I absolutely love. There's lots of cheap land, but there's 
it could be easement issues or, um, you know, you drive out to it and then your next door neighbor has a junkyard, things like that. And you have to decide, well, can I go with this thing? Is there another way in that could avoid the junkyard? Things like that. And um, I was talking to somebody that I had just got home from this road trip and I didn't, you know, find anything. And he said, have you checked out Chelan, Washington? I just built a treehouse out there for treehouse masters. It's a really cool place. And so I hopped back in the car, went up there and uh, found my lot. Uh, that's fantastic. So um, you, you had mentioned that, like, you know, you're getting set properties and your Instagram is absolutely fantastic. So much cool stuff. Anybody listening absolutely should follow. So like what whenever you started your like social media um, kind of journey, if you will, like, was that kind of the plan to like build a following and have people send stuff to you? Or were you just posting your cool stuff and then people just, you know, came along for the ride? Yeah, not at all. There's, there's no plan here. <laughs> the, the plan is like living in the moment and doing whatever I want to be doing at that time. So yeah, I joke like, you know, people send me social media stuff or brand deals and I'm like, I don't want to have to make a video about X, Y, Z. Like I'm so not, good at that um i don't even post a ton i've been posting more for this crowdfunding but what i am good at is since i am alone all the time is i will do instagram stories of whatever construction project i'm working on and things like that so yeah that's built up a little bit of a following but not intentional whatsoever yeah i think i think the reason people like you is obviously the unique stays are are ridiculously and amazing but you're very hands-on so it's not like you're it's not like you're you're you know you're buying someone else's doing you're out there doing it so i think there's that's a very attractive feature um in following somebody i think you're being very humble but uh you know <laughs> you can count on one hand how many people do do these kinds of properties globally forget the u.s or canada like globally there's not a lot like if you go on the the front page of the airbnb site you know you don't see potato airbnb you know so i you know shout out to you keep doing what you're doing because it's authentic and i think the authenticity um, outside of the unique real estate is what's shining through well thank you and i will say about me like being here and you know doing the work is sometimes when you go into these rural places, it might not feel super friendly and people get <laughs> nervous about it. But um, what I have told uh, different friends and stuff that have done it, I'm like, you know, you're out there plugging away and people will respect it. And I don't think of it uh, in my online life, but in nobody likes somebody new moving into their neighborhood, especially if they're out in the middle of nowhere and they're like, cool, now you're going to be bringing people in here. You know, like, I don't want that. But as I'm there every day and they see me just struggling through, <laughs> they, they start to gain a respect. And then I think that that would be different if I had like a construction crew coming in and building the whole thing in, you know, a week. I think that people would probably feel different. Yeah, um, if, you were, if you were some L.A. investor with millions in the bank and you just sent all of your people over there to take care of it, then people would be like, wow, who's this jerk, you know? But they see you right. out there and, like, you're going and getting a coffee from the coffee shop and, like, talking to people and buying lumber from the local lumber store and, like, yeah, cultivating these relationships with people. And then they inevitably then you start finding your caretakers in those situations, stuff like that. So it's a it's a great strategy. Yeah, yeah, it, it works out. And I, I think that, um, again, with, like, living – 
or having places in these rural areas, you really need to be friends with the people that are nearest to you because you have weather things happen and, you know, all sorts of things. Oh, there's a tree down on the uh, road. And I, when I lived in like a neighborhood in Boise, I'm like, I know the people um, that that I have property next to in these rural areas so much more than I do when I lived in a neighborhood with houses right next to me, you know, because you kind of have to depend on each other. So it's in your best interest to, you know, do anything you can to make friends with the people around you. Love that. Super cool. All right. Well, we have been plugging right along. We'll start getting into some of our kind of closing questions then. And so um, one of my favorite questions that I love to ask people, and I'll be really interested to see what your answer is, is what has been your favorite project that you have done so far? What was the favorite deal that you look back on and you're like, oh, I just love that one. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> Whenever I I revisit a property, I'm like, oh, it's so amazing here. So all the properties like I, I really love. Oh, that's so hard. Um, <laughs> I think the potato is a really interesting one because I did not think it would... That was like purely something I'm doing for myself. Um, I worked at a potato factory. I had like begged the potato factory for a job back in the day because I just wanted to be part of it. And then I was a spokesperson for Idaho Potatoes for two years with that potato. It was on the back of a semi truck that traveled all around. And so when they upgraded to a more roadworthy fiberglass one, I was like, hey, I can do something with that. And they gifted it to me. But I was always thinking like this one, I'm going to have to charge less, you know, it probably won't be as successful as my other ones. And then it just went insane, right? It's, it's definitely the one that's got the most publicity. It's in books, Ripley's Believe It or Not. I I mean, it's gone everywhere. And I would have never predicted that that was solely again, just like, I really want this. I think it would be really funny and cool. And it took off in a way that I could have never imagined. That's so fun. I love that. So uh, actually, something you probably will find interesting, surprised we haven't brought it up yet, our, one of our good friends, Scott, that lives out in Phoenix, um, he found, what was it on? What was the, it was almost like Craigslist, basically. But what was the name of it, Yoni? He, he, went, he, he, went, he went and found on one of these like third party marketplace, like Facebook marketplace oh, types um, website. And he bought off a jet. Off-route, that's what it was. Off-route, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And found an old jet that was decommissioned, like a private jet. And so he's cracked the wings off of it and he's bringing it out to the desert outside of Phoenix. And he's doing like a plane wreck themed Airbnb Amazing. out there. And I was like, dude, that's so cool. So yeah, I think he was channeling his uh, his inner Christy there. <laughs> One thing though, he bought he bought it for like, like two grand or something ridiculous. Something absurd, yeah. And then yeah. he had to figure out how to ship it. <laughs> sure, that yeah. was the, that more expensive part. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So cool, cool project. Yes. Okay. This is uh, you'll see you'll see the kind of questions I like, Christy. So, um, what do you think is your best habit? And if you don't like that question, think of it in another way. What is the thing that you do every day or every week that is, you think that is the sole reason, is the main reason why you've gotten to this point? Because not a lot of people have gotten to where you're at in the unique place that you do it. So I'm just curious what that superpower is. Okay. I'm not a very habitual person. I have like zero routines. I like roll out of bed and start working for the most part. And somehow it, it works out. Um, I 
something that I try to fit in every day is taking my dog on a hike. I'm in really beautiful areas. And so I try to do that. I don't know that that attributes to my um, success in any way, but it is something that I do for myself that I, I love doing. And I actually, I had a dog for 18 years, a little stray that didn't like anybody. And she finally passed away. And it took me a couple years to um, decide to get another dog. And what I found is that I was just working so much. And when I think you guys might relate, when you love your work, it's so hard to take time off. Um, and you don't even really notice because you're having fun. And so I put nearly 60,000 miles on my truck every year driving to these different places. And so I spend a lot of time in the car. And when I had my dog, I would notice that I would take, I would stop at different rest stops or different hikes along the way that I knew how to stream or something, you know, to let the dog out of the car. But when it was just me, I didn't need to do that. And so I could just keep, keep driving, you know? And so I actually um, ended up getting another dog, a friendly one this time, <laughs> which was intentional. And um, it just has like improved the road trips so much because it, I, and even like my hiking, I love hiking, but when you have a dog, then you like, I have to go do this. And yeah. so that's been something that makes me like take a, a little break, which I normally uh, just wouldn't. I would say the thing that attributes to my success that is just like probably a part of a defect in my brain is like, I don't have a lot of fear about really anything. I'm not a worrier. I think I'm just missing that. I don't think my parents are very big worriers either. And so I'm not super consumed with like, what is going to happen? What if it doesn't work out? What if, you know, I do get shut down or X, Y, Z. It's not that I don't think about it at all. I just think, well, there'd be a way around that or that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Okay, well, I can get over that. I get, I get, I make these decisions very quickly um, with just like running through a worst case scenario very quickly in my mind. But yeah, I'm just not um, a very, I, I probably don't have like any anxiety or, and, and missing like the fear portion of my brain. I laugh because like recently I, I just went to all my properties and like three times in a hotel I, in the morning, I realized I hadn't shut my door all the way <laughs> because normally I, I'm out here. My doors are open. Everything's unlocked. My keys are in the car. You know, and I'm like, in a hotel, I should probably shut <laughs> the freaky door. Like I just, it's gone from my brain. And I have to sometimes remind myself that I need to be afraid. Like if I'm on a roof or something, I'm like, this is a dangerous thing. Pay attention, <laughs> you know, because it's so easy for me to not too funny I'll, 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 I want to I want to take the, first of all I think that has something to do with you being in nature a lot I think like right now I'm in the Smokies there's something very calming and I can learn a lot from you because I tap into a lot of like you know like rah-rah energy to get going so you're like the, you're like the opposite mentality and I'm like well you know what it can work in a light way so I'm gonna try to take some inspiration from you and be like a little bit tap into the nature and be a little bit more chill. So I really, really like that answer. David, do you mind if I if I just segue second question? Sure, go for it. You are already here. So who do you look up to? Who's the expert that you look at? We look at you as the expert. Who does the expert look up to? Oh, that's, a, that's super interesting. Um, so because I'm alone all the time, I read a ton. 
Um, and then also when I, in my twenties, when I did factory work, yeah, you know, I always had like an audio book in the ear. Um, and so I think the people that I, um, idolize the most are typically authors or have learned the most from, and that would be like, you know, stoicism and Ryan holiday or Tim Ferriss. I, I, I love Brian Chetsky. I think he's, you know, the best CEO that we have. Um, I find anything, uh, interviews that he does so, super fascinating. So yeah, it, it'd be, be mostly authors, not that, not necessarily in this space because again, now it's, it's been really cool with the OMG fund that I got to help judge last year with Airbnb mm. gave away $10 million to see all those projects come to life has been really cool. But, you know, um, as I've been doing this, there haven't been a lot of people doing unique things. So now that it's starting to become like hip, it's really interesting and awesome to see and and follow other people's projects. But I think that there's a lot to take in from other people, people not in the field necessarily. And like I was saying before, of listening to different books and consuming a lot of articles and essays and stuff that in even fiction which I didn't start to like 10 years ago, there can be a lot to be um, gained from that, that you wouldn't necessarily um, think that it would have any, um, any value to your real life, but it, it ends up that there is. Super cool. So, you know, leading into then, I mean, this is just going way too well, because then our next question is, what are like the top two books that have had a big impact on your life? So you mentioned that you're an avid reader. Could you narrow it down to just a couple that have had a big impact on your life? We'll even give yes. you three if you want three. Yeah, I don't know if these will be relevant for now, but the ones I had a huge impact in my life was I remember, um, I think I was 19 in a Barnes and Noble, and it was waiting uh, for somebody and so I was just like stuck at this mall the afternoon so I was at a Barnes and Noble and I read the entire book called off the wall marketing ideas and it's probably like 120 pages and it's just like idea after idea it was probably written in the 90s but it was like um oh this contractor has a business card and he puts sandpaper on the back just like creative ideas like that that sparked so many other ideas and when I um, downsized to my tiny house, 97 square feet. Like my books were the last to go. And that's like one of them that I kept because I, that's when I discovered that I love marketing so much. Um, so that one was really impactful. Uh, four hour work week was really impactful when that came out. And I think like the biggest thing with that, and I think it comes from the book Vagabonding that he's just quoting from is the idea of being like a poor kid, you know, money was the answer to everything. So I was just like, I'm going to get rich and I'm going to solve all the problems for my family. Right. And so um, in that book, he talks about that you don't really want to be a millionaire. You want to live like a millionaire. And what do you think that that life would be? And so forcing myself to think about, okay, well, if I had all the money in the world, what would my life be? And realizing that I could afford that on my factory job. And, it, you know, I couldn't buy my parents a house per se, but I could have a house cleaner and I can have fresh flowers every day. So that was a real like paradigm shift for me. And, um, and I think that's so interesting of like being so, I wouldn't say I was money hungry, but really wanting to be financially successful. 
And then having that shift, I mean, I don't know how old that book is. It's pretty old. And then also now falling into being financially successful. And then like more recently, Atomic Habits, I think is a really Mm. great book. Um, I want to just say one thing. I was geeking out the whole time while you were talking about four hour work week. First of all, I read a lot. Like my, that's, that's my routine is I wake up early to get my books in before the work gets crazy. Um, I was going to ask you, do you use virtual assistants at all as a result of the four hour work week mentality or you do other little hacks to save your time? I don't use virtual assistants mostly because I'm not organized enough to put everything into a structure, but I did, I did just hire an assistant like two weeks ago. Like it's finally got to the point where I'm like, I can't handle everything myself and continue to be building full time. So I just got like my first real employee versus outside contractors and my caretakers and things like that. But I do use like Upwork and Fiverr all the time. And with the, you know, AI, I think I signed up for chat like day three and, you know, people, I'm, I'm such like a a fangirl. I feel like I'm a CrossFitter talking about it all the time, (laughs) but like AI has completely changed my life and I build, you know, I use my hands for a living, but it has been, um, so incredible with the amount that I've been able to do that I can't like truly, um, and, and I know that we're just like at the tip of it, right? It's going to change everything, but I feel so grateful for it. Um, all the admin stuff that comes with having these places or the ideas that I've wanted to do forever. And then this is just makes it so much easier or quicker. I like went through a to-do list that I had like things on there that had been on there for years and just busted them out. So I'm super excited to see, you know, what comes out of that. And I love using it. Yeah, the whole AI world. I mean, well, I mean, Yoni's company is, uh, you know, in the AI world of helping, you know, try and find good short-term rentals. So AI is going to be uh, an absolutely massive thing. I I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, Okay, well, we will be respectful of your time and we will get you out of here. But before we do, is there any problems that you currently have in your business? And how could our listeners help you out and where could they find you? Okay, I don't know how anybody can help me. But yes, there's a couple (laughs) problems. Maybe maybe some AI whiz could help with these things. So where I see having multiple uniques is where I spend my time that I don't want to be is inventory. Um, Turno has tried to, um, do this, but it's not in the way that I need it, uh, where Turno has added inventory, but it would be like your caretaker saying, okay, well, we have 20 rolls of toilet paper left. That's not what I need. I need my caretakers to be able to have a system where every, all the consumables, um, are in the app and they can just reorder on an as need basis Mm. and it'll charge my card because that's like the only thing I haven't found a good workaround for. So my caretakers are still saying like, Hey, Christy, I need, you know, lots of the stuff is on a subscription through Amazon, you know, so our Kleenex, you know, a lot of our coffee is it's local, but some of them have a, a subscription thing, but some of them don't. And so I actually have to, go to that particular website and order that particular thing because I'm particular with the whole experience. So there's things that can't be bought on Amazon. And so, or I have to be like, okay, well, those sheets, they're needing new ones. Now I have to go find what sheets I use for that 
because I'm not, uh, because my places are unique, they're also different. So I'm not having the same bedding in a hobbit hole as a tree house, as a fire lookout. And so that's like a problem that I need solved. If somebody could make an inventory, it's on my list of things, but that would be really amazing for them to just be able to order um, from an app and that would take that off my plate. And then there was something else I was just thinking. Um, oh, it's um, something that I've also had in the works for a long time, but I haven't put enough time behind it, is having a house Bible for these unique properties. And in that Bible, I want to include every product that I have bought for the place. So um, I'm big on like cultivating, not going to goods and furnishing your whole place at once. Um, I feel like you can, you go into places that are new like that and you feel like there's not a soul there. It feels like a hotel room where if you buy some things from the antique store and you have cultivated a library and things like that, people feel that. And so where I might have got a coffee table from a antique store, so they're not going to be able to buy that coffee table if somebody breaks it, but to have like the dimensions and the picture of that so that somebody else would be able to say, okay, this is the size and the style that we need to replace that. And then I think like having all the operating manuals for the water heater and oven and all of the things that you have in a house and then like neighbor's phone numbers, just all of those things, permits. I want to have a virtual and physical house Bible that uh, paint colors or whatever that I can say, okay, this thing happened. I can send a maintenance person over and they can stop by ACE on the way, mix that color because they have all the information there instead of me having to be like, you know what? I got that paint from this store. And if you talk to Bill, he'll know, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I want, I want that to all be um, encapsulated in one place. So those are the two things. If anybody can help please reach yeah. out. That would be we'll, amazing. We'll, yeah. We'll get some of our, uh, some of our AI and tech people in, uh, in our, in our network. We'll have them build a nice app to get everything all put together in the house Bible. Awesome. I think, right, well, I think the inventory thing could be like really great for people. Christy, if you want to talk offline about that, let me, maybe I can help. Okay. Yeah. Right. I'd love to. Awesome. Christy, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it, and I hope that we stay in touch, and I'm going to be watching anxiously as we see all the other projects come along. We're super excited for you. Yeah, it was nice to meet you guys. Stay in touch. All right, will do. Thank you so much. It's been another episode of the Fetch It Podcast. See you later.